Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Dr. Jill Manning is here today. I am so excited to have her because so many women are wondering about couples therapy. We have women in our groups who are asking questions, who are saying, hey, I need a good couples therapist. Where should I go? And that's what we're going to talk about today. I've seen two different situations with couples therapy that I'm just going to introduce this topic with, and then we'll talk about it from there. Number one, many men are going to therapy and the women aren't seeing a big difference. And so they think, well, if we get a couples therapist and I'm involved, then maybe I'll see the improvements that I'm looking for. So there's that element of it. Another element is that they're seeing their marriage issues as marriage issues or communication issues rather than as an abuse issue or as a addiction issue. And Lundy Bancroft, he does not advise couples therapy in any way, shape or form unless the abuser has taken full accountability for his abuse. And there have been no abuse episodes in the last two years. But then on the other hand that I just talked about, some therapists want the wife going in to make sure the husband is telling the truth because the addicts often lie or minimize even to their therapists. So this is a very complex issue. And so that is why I've asked Jill to help us unpack all of that and make sense of it so that we can know what we need to do in our specific situations. Let's jump in because there is a lot to unpack. And this is probably a layered podcast need. So I want our listeners to be realistic that I'm hoping we can cover some good ground today. But it is complex. And anytime we're dealing with human beings, and especially human beings in relationship, there's so many moving parts. Situations are unique. And I'm sure there will be listeners that may find exceptions to every guideline and rule I'm going to outline today. But as a marriage and family therapist who's been working 17 years in this field and specializing in partners for the bulk of that, this is an area I feel really passionate about because I see a lot of harm being done to individuals and also to marriages themselves when couple therapy is not timed well. And the timing is really key. And and we're going to get into that today. But I want to introduce this idea, what I'm calling the rule of five, rule meaning guidelines. I want us to start right from the beginning. And let's think of traditional couple therapy. Okay, let's start that as a, a reference point for this conversation. Because when we're dealing with betrayal, trauma, and sexual addiction, I believe as a clinician that it departs 
quite significantly from traditional couple therapy. And we need to have a good understanding of those differences. So in traditional, kind of your typical run-of-the-mill couple therapy situation, there are five, again, this is the rule of five, five key goals for traditional couple therapy. The first one being supporting a couple in identifying sources of conflict. Number two, helping each person in the relationship identify their own participation in conflict and issues that may be coming up. Number three would be helping a couple realize healthy expectations for the relationship and one another. Number four is defining how the relationship's going to work, the boundaries, the roles, the division of labor, all of that. And then fifth, improving the skill set of a couple, whether that be communication, intimacy, conflict resolution. So I'm calling those traditional rule of five main goals in traditional couple therapy. But there's what we call indications and contraindications to traditional therapy. And again, I want to use the rule of five. There's five main contraindications and five indications. Contraindication is a fancy word for saying things that we see where we would not recommend couple therapy. And then indications, meaning things that would indicate that that would be a good thing. Here's the thing, and many of my colleagues will readily acknowledge this, that I do co-therapy with and consult with. This is counterintuitive, what I'm about to say. And that is that when sexual addiction comes to light and there is a betrayal that surfaces, what people like myself ask couples to do is very counterintuitive. And that is to not engage in couple therapy initially, and sometimes for a long while, not to do couple therapy. And that's counterintuitive because when something like this comes up, the relationship is seriously compromised. It's a major threat to the marital bond, or even if two people aren't married, just the relationship itself takes a major hit. And so it's counterintuitive for us to say, hey, all this stuff's come up that's really harming your relationship, and we're going to ask you to hold off on couple therapy, perhaps for a long while. That's counterintuitive. I understand and really both empathize and sympathize and support people that have this issue come up and they think we need to get to a couple therapist ASAP because we are in big trouble. That makes Mm -hmm. logical sense. But here's why. Again, going back to the rule of five, five contraindications to traditional couple therapy. And then I want to get into when is it indicated and a good thing? Because timing is key. And we know from research, and that when couple therapy is not well-timed, it actually can put a coupleship at greater risk for divorce and dissolution. So I take this really seriously. I want listeners to know that my personal stance as a clinician is that I do my very best to do all that we can to keep relationships intact, especially families intact, when that is healthy and desirable to do so. It's not always safe to do that, and it's not always what's wanted. All things considered, if that is wanted and it's healthy and safe to do so, I do my very best to make sure that that can happen. But let's get into contraindications for even traditional couple therapy. And listeners will start realizing, ah, okay, this fits with betrayal, trauma, and sex addiction pretty well. 
The first contraindication is physical violence or any type of, of abuse, emotional, sexual, physical, financial, any type of abuse that's going on. That is not a situation where we would want couple therapy. Number two, mental illness or addiction problems, especially if they are active and untreated or in the early stages of being untreated. Number three, if one person continues to engage in a relationship outside of the marriage, now having done work with pornography for years, I'm of the opinion and belief, and I believe there's research to back this up, that pornography is a very insidious type of relationship outside of the marriage. Number four is when one or both parties have decided to begin divorce proceedings. And fifth, if there's a lack of empathy, if one or both parties is either not wanting to or incapable of being empathetic to the other's reality, that's not a situation we'd want them to be in couple therapy. So do those five make sense? Absolutely. When things got really bad for me, we had never tried couple therapy before. And I was like, okay, this we have to do this because we have to do something. And things got a lot worse. And then he got arrested. So for me, he became more abusive because it was like, oh, now's the time I can unleash all my resentments toward her and all my feelings based on all my erroneous thought processes that he had. And he just became more and more abusive through that process. And when we start couple therapy, I'm saying this, and honestly and truthfully, as someone who has both been in couple therapy in my own relationship and also as a couple therapist, okay, I've been on both sides of this situation. And when we enter that arena called couple therapy, there's two assumptions that are really important for us to be aware of. There's an assumption of safety and there's an assumption of equality. Mm-hmm. In a situation with sexual betrayal and sexual addiction, there is not equality, especially if there are secrets and dangerous secrets at that, and there is a lack of safety. So if you have a traditional couple therapist in the room that is not well-versed in the dynamics of sexual addiction, gaslighting, and the emotional abuse, and also the physical risks that this issue can bring up, it's not a good situation to be in. The risk of gaslighting and the emotional abuse in really subtle and sometimes blatant ways can enter into that space. It pollutes the ability for that space to hold both people in an appropriate way and for there to be healing to occur because everyone's protecting themselves in that. Okay. So two things concern me when we're talking about this. The first is that if empathy is not present, I have heard people talk about empathy training and helping the addict learn how to mimic empathy when they're not actually feeling it so that they can learn the mechanics of empathy, but end up faking empathy. They end up learning scripts for empathy rather than actually becoming empathetic, which can cause a wife to be more confused because she might be more abused by the empathy being jerked around by this like, oh, he's acting empathetic now, but he's really still acting out and she doesn't know. Let's talk about that first and then I'll hopefully remember my second thing. So one of the most important things that I want for partners to gain in their own recovery process is coming home again to their gut, reconnecting to their gut. And empathy really is hard 
for a human being to fake. Because if someone's really connected and they have a good working gut, you'll know there's something missing in that. For a a strong therapist that really understands how critical empathy is, both the reception of empathy and the giving of empathy, right? That she in her gut reads accurately whether that's the real deal or not, and whether he's able to have the skills. And I know I'm speaking in a gender segregated way here for ease of conversation. That's really, really important. Now, I want a couple is choosing reconciliation, and there is sobriety and good recovery work occurring for both parties, that I am passionate about people getting to couple therapy as soon as we are able to have them ready for that. I've had a couple of people recently suggest that I'm against couple therapy. It couldn't be further from the truth. I am very much for it. I think it's actually essential that the couple relationship itself be exposed to good quality treatment and healing. Right. Let's talk about attachment therapy for just a minute. Now, I did attachment therapy with my husband when those counterindications were present. And the therapist that we did attachment therapy did not say, oh, wait a minute, you have these things present. And so we should not do attachment therapy. The assumption in those sessions was if addiction is an attachment disorder, then the solution is attachment therapy. Can you talk about that for a minute? Really, really good question. And again, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because that really is the logic that's being used by many, many people seeking therapy and many people providing therapy. If this is rooted in attachment wounds that have not been healed or trauma that's unresolved, then therefore the solution would be attachment work. I get it. And we have to be really careful because healthy attachment work must be founded on safety. Nobody attaches without lack of safety, unless it's a really anxious, unhealthy, dysfunctional attachment, a trauma bond, let's say. Okay. Mm -hmm. But in terms of healthy attachment, safety must be there. And we must have trust and respect, equality, consent, right? All of the elements of healthy intimacy also apply to healthy attachment. Again, the timing I think is critical with anyone that's dealing with attachment wounds, both in their histories, but also with one another. So I recently spoke with an international trainer of emotionally focused therapy, which is one of the most common attachment focused therapies right now. And it's very well supported in the research. It's actually one of the top types of therapy I recommend couples seek out. I express concerns around some of the harm that I'm seeing done with attachment-focused therapy in sexual addiction recovery, namely that people are engaging in that before safety is established and honesty is established, or even sobriety. Or lack of abuse. Or abuse, right. And they 100% agreed with what I'm saying today. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I worry about with therapy is that very situation or same thing with the abuse, right? It's the dance of she asks him to cut the tomatoes and he feels shame. And so he yells at her and screams in her face, you know, and there's something that we call false equivalency, right? We're making a false equivalent of two behaviors. She's critical and he's acting out with prostitutes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Or she's critical and he's punching walls. Right. Those types of false equivalencies I see as highly dangerous and harmful for both parties 
as well as the relationship itself. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 